Hey everybody and welcome to the Testing One-on-One podcast with myself, Rob, and my good friend, Joel. How you doing, Joel? All good, Rob. What's up, man? Uh, all good. All good. So it's very exciting for me. I've moved into my own little office. It's sort of proper going sort of knee-deep into getting my business off the ground, launching the Parent Brain brand, which I think I've mentioned before on this podcast. And yeah, I'm going all for it. So I'm very, very excited. Oh, okay, so, so here I am confused. I thought you already were a parent. I am. I just never used my brain before. So, you know, I think this is an opportunity to uh, to help other parents and myself uh, get smarter, I guess, is, is really the goal of that podcast. And I actually so, have a pretty good friend who's telling me that if you use a brain, you don't become a parent. But I guess that we don't want to go there now. That's, <laughs> yeah, that's some good advice, actually. Some good advice. How's things with you then? You all right? Um, yeah, I got back to, to Israel after, uh, some pretty hectic time. So I, I actually attended a cool conference. I wasn't aware it was so cool. It's, uh, the QA or the highway conference in Columbus, Ohio, which was amazing. Again, I, I wasn't counting so many people and so great feedback. So it was great. And then I just went over to a couple of cities in the U S and Canada. I was literally buried in snow in Canada. Um, great place, Waterloo, uh, just oh, nice. next to Toronto, but it was, inc- again, it was just like white all over. Um, I had a little bit of a scare of a coronavirus because uh, some people told me I need to be quarantined. Then they told me I can go out of quarantine, which is good because I don't feel sick. But if, but if you feel sick, yes, go ahead. It's, it's serious, guys. So don't forget that. And uh, we're also working on the state of testing, trying to get some time off to work on the analysis of the results and get it off the door. So again, busy, busy as always. Excellent. You're always sort of jet-setting around the world, aren't you? Conferences, business Well, uh, given the current state of affairs, I have been grounded, which is <laughs> really excited for me <laughs> because I was supposed to be uh, in Europe, the US, and Japan. Not that I wasn't looking forward to it, but it's it's great to be able to not fly that much. So, yeah, sorry, we had to basically uh, postpone our, our trips to Japan, uh, but we'll get there. Uh, but you, your, oh yeah, your family will have no idea what's what's happening, will they? They'll be able to see you for for an extended period of time, which is which is good, or is it? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it is. It's always nice. And again, one of the cool things is that you can do almost everything remotely, and, and that's great because we're not stopping anything. And I was talking this morning to a customer in Tokyo, and. After 45 minutes of conversation, I, I said, hey, and how's it going over there? She said, oh, cool. I'm working from home. So, you know, it's it's feasible, it's possible, and it's good. So, it is. It so. is. Although we did try to record this podcast yesterday, and uh, the whole of the internet in Winchester was down. So, yeah, that didn't happen. Yeah. So, guys, if you ever thought the UK was a civilized place, civilized place, <laughs> uh, think again. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Cool. Right. So, today's topic then, Joel, what are we talking about? Okay, so uh, today's topic, uh, metrics, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Um, and you know what? I, I was wondering, if, if is there a more controversial topic in testing yet, a, a tool that is more widely used by testing teams? Because I think that everyone does metrics, meaning we count everything. We count how many tests we have run, how many bugs have we found, uh, relationships between developers and testers, how many minutes until lunch. I know that that's a pretty good one for you. Um, (laughs) Yeah, guys, we are literally um, recording uh, at 12 noon in the UK. So Rob is hungry. If you hear some grumbling, that's his tummy. Um, No, but meaning 
we we do a lot of metrics and, and we're measuring quite a lot. And, and I guess that part of this is that we do it because we're used to it. We're doing it because our culture is built on comparing stuff and, and benchmarking stuff. Um, we might also do it because when used correctly and in conjunction with other information, uh, metrics are really helpful and they provide us a lot of info for the rest of the team and, and stakeholders. But I will agree with a lot of people, and if you go to a conference or you talk to someone, people will tell you, yeah, metrics are evil, you shouldn't measure, and then you will have the other people who say, no, you need to measure, just know what to do it right. Truth is, at least in my perspective, um, most teams out there do not pay the required attention to their metrics. And once you do it, you actually start running into issues. And in the best of cases, those teams are going to be showing incomplete data, and we will talk about that. But in some cases, we do see people who are showing data that is going to eventually steer the boat in the wrong direction. So I think that it's a topic we should cover. And uh, what do you say that we go into it? Yeah, let's jump in. I suppose, uh, yeah, measure is very controversial. It is, you, you know, get yourself to a conference, like you say, and it's, it can divide a room easily. But I suppose we should probably start with um, why are we measuring it? You know, what problem are we trying to solve? Is that a good place to start? Um, I think it is. Um, what do you think that should get measured, meaning? Well, I suppose it comes down to understanding the, the measures. So, you know, go to a conference once and somebody was, was on stage saying, never measure anything. Uh, don't tell your managers anything. Don't give any measures out around testing. And, you know, that sounds hypothetically amazing, but the measures are there for a reason. And, you know, I suppose we need to come back to why are we measuring it? Do we have a problem that we're trying to solve? I'm always reminded of, uh, measure that I walked into a company and they were measuring test case completion rates. I think I've told you this story before about all the test cases on the table and you had to pick, you know, 100 test cases each. It was all that kind of stuff. And the problem they were trying to solve was uh, that people weren't running all of the test cases. So there was this measure in place. But when I joined, people were running all of the test cases. So the measure was no longer particularly useful because it basically came out at 100% constantly. And I suppose it comes back to why are we measuring? What problem are we trying to solve? And I think the majority of measures that you hear about don't appear to actually be addressing a problem. Is that something you've encountered? Um, yeah, and it makes sense because actually what you were saying, uh, maybe when someone set that measure up, the problem was the test cases weren't being run. So let's put a simple measure that would get everyone on board and let's just measure how many test cases are we running problem with measurements and with metrics is when we continue, one of them, there are many, one of them is when we continue using the same metrics, even though the problem is not there anymore, and the way that we are working was completely modified, and now the metric is maybe irrelevant, maybe even harmful, like in the case that you've, you've mentioned a couple of times. Um, so I think that here, what you were saying, it's important, I mean, in what problem are we trying to solve? And let, let's find a way to know if we're actually getting out of this problem. The metric itself won't fix it, but but we will know if we're out. Yeah. But the other problem becomes to understand that realities change, and so metrics need to change accordingly. I think, you know, from, from my perspective, what gets measured fundamentally gets managed. So if we start to measure something, then you are essentially changing the behaviors. People will start to uh, focus on those things. If you set a measure for, I don't know, test case completion rates, you'll find that people then focus on it. So that's really important to know that the problem you're trying to solve is actually going to drive the correct behavior. And, 
You mentioned something in the notes, which I've never heard before, and I'm looking forward to you explaining this. Um, <laughs> the law of conservation of metrics. Absolutely. Is that it? This sounds intriguing. Okay, so I, I it's only the name of a, of a blog post that I wrote, and, and I think that it was when I, we were talking with my kids about the law of conservation of, of mass and of uh, linear momentum, stuff like that. We were talking about um, high school stuff. And, and I realized that there's also something called, again, the law of conservation of metrics that sounds weird, but the way that I see it, and I remember writing it, um, everything that you measure, it's going to get improved due to that metrics. But here's the caveat. This thing that it's improved will come at the expense of something that will get worse, or at least will go down because you're not measuring it. I love that. So basically what it says is that and again, I'm, I'm a true believer of this. If you measure something, it will, I used to say increase, but I guess that the way to count, count it is improve because maybe bugs in code will go down, but it will improve, but always at the expense of something else. And the logic behind it is simple. If you tell your team, hey, I'm going to be counting, uh, and this is the trivial example, the number of bugs that you're reporting, then people will report more and more bugs and automatically they will think less about the bugs that they're reporting. Maybe they will have more duplicates. Maybe they will have less quality bugs. Maybe they will have bugs that are, again, not necessarily there. So point I've here... A, I've got a real-world example of this. This is that case of, you know, what gets measured gets managed, is there used to be a bounty on a number of bugs found. So the more bugs that you found, you stood a chance of winning a bonus that month. And there was a tester who found the same bug in 15 different languages and raised 15 different uh, bug reports for it. And he won, he won the prize. He got the, the, he got the bonus for that month. That's exactly what was happening. But what he was doing was he wasn't actually doing any exploratory testing and he wasn't finding some really obvious stuff sat around that. And that's a great example of that. And, and let, let me give you the opposite example. We had a team where developers were being um, punished by if you found bugs in their code. So what happened was that they would come to, to testers and they would basically say, hey, no matter what you do, don't report the bug. Maximum, come and tell me, which is not a bad thing. It's, it's Some might say, yeah, it's an agile practice, uh, communication instead of systems. But then when we try to understand if there were areas where we needed to test more because historically we might have found more bugs in there, so maybe it's less stable, stuff like that, we didn't have that information. So if you're going to be measuring something, you need to understand that people will work in order to improve that area. And so you need to be careful how you measure. Uh, obviously, what you measure, and a lot of us are, are, are careful on what we measure, but we also need to be careful on how we measure it and what we do with that. So, and you know, I 100% fundamentally completely agree with you, but in a sense, you, you may be opening up the case to be uh, measuring more and more things. You know, where do you draw the line if, if you're going to be measuring one thing and that's going to improve, but something else is going to go down or, or be left or neglected, surely then you just need to measure everything and then that's that sort of overwhelm, isn't it? Is it is it a case of simple one-dimensional metrics or is the you know multiple metrics or just measure everything? I mean, where do we where do we find that balance? Um, that's a cr tricky question, and you will need to find the answer to that by yourself. I have rules of thumb. And I hate one-dimensional metrics. And I was actually talking to a customer yesterday that he was counting um, pass-fail criteria on, on his automation. And we went into adding more dimensions into that. Um, for me, it's usually three to four dimensions uh, that I want to cover in a project. So I might cover 
yes, uh, pass-fail criteria based on something, but I will then also go into bugs that we're finding. I will go into user stories that we're covering or, or maybe even speed. It's It's basically a matter of seasoning. We need to understand that you may have a, a main issue, but you have some seasoning that you need to do on the site. And it's not an exact science. And, and I think that that's what people need to understand, that metrics is more of an art that you start improving with time. And there are a couple of things that you can do in order to make it better. Okay? So so in that case, find your rules of thumb. And, and if you have a very large team, you can have a large number of metrics. But if you have a team of three or four people, you shouldn't have 15 metrics that you're going to be covering. It just doesn't make sense. What, what's your experience with that? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, one of the exercises we used to do quite a lot, and, you know, I still do it do it now, really, but at a sort of management level, though, is, is ask yourself what you're not measuring and then try and answer the question of why are you not measuring it? Because I think sometimes looking at sort of the things you're not measuring can actually lead you to uh, more of those dimensions that you've spoken around. And I think the other thing to always bear in mind, and, and this is something that I think a lot of the gurus that stand up on stage that say don't measure anything, is you need to also ask who's asking you to measure it and why. Because if it's coming from, you know, maybe the operations team that, that want stability on the platform or it's coming from executives because they want to know who to hit with a stick, there are very different motivations behind the measures. So I think it's really important to know what you're not measuring and why but also who's decided on the measures and why did they decide on it? Almost kind of like what problem are we trying to solve? And, you know, how did they come up with the measures? What problem were they actually trying to solve? But I think one thing that always drives me, and this is a sort of the core thing that I look at, is every measure that you measure should be used to improve the process, the system, the world of work. If it doesn't actually help you improve anything, then I guess the question should be, why are you measuring it? What do you think to that? Um, I, I think that it's important, meaning we need to understand and, and always be careful to, to, to understand I mean, what is our, our measure going to cause? What, and you said it correctly, meaning let's assume that if we measure it, we'll improve. Do we really need that improvement? Do we want that improvement? Maybe. Do we need it? Because obviously you want to improve everything you're doing and we have another podcast for that that we're actually thinking about doing, but we need to have basically priorities to, to what we need to do. And I, and I guess that it's important to actually have that better, be, better defined. Now, there was a point that you were actually putting in there, in, in the notes, by the way, and you were talking about gaming. Um, gamification is something that I hear everywhere lately. <laughs> so tell me about what you mean by gaming in, in measures. Well, kind of a little bit like the example I gave earlier, you know, the testers being um, sort of given a bounty for finding bugs. And in that exact same company, the developers weren't, uh, I guess, reprimanded or, you know, told off or whatever you want to, word you want to use there for um, creating the bugs in the first place. Instead, what they were doing is they were actually incentivized to fix bugs. So you could see what was going to happen here. The testers incentivized to find them, the developers incentivized to fix them. There was all sorts of gaming going on here where people would leave obvious flaws in the code and the tester would find and the developer would fix it and they'd both get rewarded for it. So the behaviors that the measures drive are really important. We need to always understand how people are incentivized. And that's why I always come back to the measures should be used to improve the system, improve behaviors, improve things, not just there to measure something because somebody thought it was a good idea. Because people will generally 
if particularly you are, you know, rewarded or incentivized around measures, the chances are you're always going to meet them. You're always going to meet the measures, uh, whether that's through being very effective or actually through gaming the system or cheating or doing all the other things. And I see this day in, day out, people gaming the system to achieve the measures and happy days, success. I'll give you a really good example of a team who had a very, very low engagement score on one of these sort of pulse surveys. And it's not really to do with testing, but it explores uh, and explains this quite clearly. And they were given an incentive that if they actually achieved a really, really high engagement score, they'd all get their bonus. So they all answered the questions favorably, even though they actually hated working there. And that's another example of how people will game a system in order to achieve the measures that are set for them. So, you know, there's some couple of examples, but underneath really what we're always looking at is behaviors. You know, the measures of uh, metrics and the things we choose to measure should change behaviors. It should improve the world of work. And if it's not doing that, we've really got to raise a question about that. Hmm. So basically what you mean by gaming is cheating. Now it makes sense. Yeah. Okay. I mean, gaming, <laughs> coaching can work and that's great. And that's a sort of technique, a very proven technique. But actually gaming, when I talk about it, is people will be cheating. And you see that uh, all the time. Not, not through necessarily uh, bad intentions. Just It's just the nature of the construct of the world of work that they're in. No, and I think we need to understand that you shouldn't just set up a metric or a measurement and walk away from it. Absolutely. Um, and that is a big part because if you set something up that you want to measure and you find out that even after we just started running it a week or two weeks ago, it's actually not bringing the result or it's not going on the way we need to do it, meaning you didn't get married with that metric. Uh, just change it, modify it, drop it, do something about it. Um, and by the way, dropping metrics, there is also something that it's been cataloged and, and studied called the pesticide paradox, and it really applies to metrics. Um, ever heard of it? Mm, absolutely. So pesticide paradox is, is cool. Uh, it comes actually from agriculture, and it means that if you use the same pesticide all the times, then the bugs actually either you take out all of those bugs and you get other bugs, or uh, they get resistant to those types of bugs. And so in agriculture, what you usually, usually do is rotation of different pesticides. Uh, in a sense, you're just changing the pesticides that you're using all the time so that people don't get used to it. And so the same goes with metrics. Metrics shouldn't be stable because then you will improve in, in the areas where you actually were shedding light on, but the rest of the areas won't be improved, might actually go wrong. So not only do you need to be aware of the metrics, you should have a conscious effort of mo on modifying at least part of them. Maybe you will have one that is the core, I don't know, uh, NPS for user satisfaction. Keep yeah. it. I think but, so. but the rest of the metrics on, uh, on the surroundings, modify them, either by checking something from another perspective, maybe a, an indirect perspective, or simply by, by dropping that saying, hey, you know what, we're good enough in there, let's actually focus on other areas right now. Yeah, and I think to, the, the important caveat to add to that, I absolutely agree, is, is sort of flexing and changing. If it's not working, then obviously we need to fix things. Um, but I think we're, we're going to talk about it later, but this trends are really important. You know, too many people are taking like an almost single figure snapshot and saying that's the state of the world. When the reality is those trends are important. And if we keep changing the metrics, though, we lose the ability to see some of those trends. But if the metric isn't working, then absolutely we need to do that. But Joel, here's the thing, you know, we've got all these testers and a lot of measures and metrics from what I've seen and certainly what I hear people talk about are used to measure the effectiveness of a person. That sounds like a brilliant idea, right? <laughs> yeah. If you live on a communist regime that actually shoots people for being sick, that sounds good. Um, and, and but, but it's a really, really crappy way of going about it. Um, 
you should never measure people. You cannot even measure people because you cannot measure the whole person's perspective. Meaning, if I measure just um, how many bugs this person is finding, I might not be. And it goes all over the macro. It doesn't measure all the rest of the stuff they're doing. In the best case scenario, we should measure teams, thinking that teams can be a little bit more homogeneous and uh, and, and basically representative. But I think that we need to measure more than anything else either outcomes or processes. Never, ever, ever people. It doesn't really make sense. I totally agree. Absolutely. So, you know what? You've got these measures. You've got a team. Uh, hopefully, we're measuring some of the team, some of the output, some of the work. We're tweaking the measures. We are measuring the things that matter. We're solving problems. And hopefully, we're studying the behaviors that come from these measures. So, we're in a good place right now. Um, but who do these measures belong to? You know, if I'm a manager, surely that's just my sort of measurement dashboard. No one else should ever get to see that. Is that how you stand on that? Um, in my experience, if you measure stuff and you don't communicate it, then people get, I'm going to say worried or suspicious of it. Uh, I, I always remember uh, having someone come into my cubicle and say, hey, what are those dashboards in there? And why are you measuring that? And And people start thinking that you're doing something behind their backs. And if you think about it, metrics are going to be aggregations of data that is already public. So it doesn't really make sense not to publish it. Yeah, you might want to like have a, a one-time check of something, understand something better. But if you're measuring something over time, I think that they should be public. They should be also explained. By the way, they should be shared and criticized because that's the only way where you can actually get that feedback and try to understand what you're not doing correctly. If you're going to be measuring something, especially around public data, and you're going to be measuring that in secret, you're either really weird or um, you're going about it wrong. The bit I'll add to that as well, absolutely spot on, is um, the measures belong to the team. I mean, this, you know, the measures should be about improving the things that we're working on, you know, the product, software, the processors, whatever. And therefore, they need to belong to the people that can do that. And that's got to be the team. So, yeah, if you're producing metrics, you're measuring stuff and you're keeping it secret, it's a bad move. So, mm -hmm. Joel. You've got a smart thing in here in the in the notes. I, I, I'm not a fan of the whole smart goal setting thing, and, and you've used the smart thing to give us a guide for metrics. Um, I'm open minded. Uh, let's let's hear this one out. I like it, but okay. I don't like smart. Um, it's it's basically again. You you might not like the word because it's been abused. Smart has been abused, Absolutely. but smart as as basically a definition. Um, for me, it works. I've been using it for the last I think 15 years, and. It's just to make sure that when I create a dashboard that has a set of metrics in them, I'm around the right path. And it's just a way to remember how they need to be. So smart for me, the S stands for simple. Simple meaning if I look at it, I should understand it. I shouldn't need to have a lot of uh, a person explaining to me, hey, what are you measuring? How are you calculating that? And sometimes there's no way around it. So just put the equation that you're using. Um, the second one that I like, and some people don't really like is that I want it to be measurable. In this case, I want it to be a number, something that it will be, uh, no one will be able to discuss it with me. So if we have, I don't know, 5% um, of, of tests that are failing right now in our automation, it should be that number, that five. Actionable is maybe the most important one, and it's in the middle. If I have a metric or, or a dashboard or something that when I see it, I don't know what to do with it, then it shouldn't be there. You should have something else. 
And again, let's go back to, to one statistic that I was working with a customer yesterday. He was showing overall percentage of passing in his automation. And I was like, okay, let's say that I see 3%. What do I do with that? Meaning other than the warm, fuzzy feeling in my, in my tummy, what do I do with that? And so we started looking into it and say, hey, you know what? Let's actually try to give it a little bit more flavor and let's look into the internals of the application and let's try to see, okay, is it new failures or is it failures in specific areas of the product? So try to give that information. If it's not something that will help people to do something about it, then don't put it in there. Uh, R in smart for me is repeatable. It should be something that you can measure again and again because benchmarking, and, and I think that you want to talk about trends, so we will do it later. Uh, trends are important. Benchmark is, is important. So uh, I have 20% failures now. Is it good or bad? <laughs> Meaning, I don't know. Was it 25% yesterday or was it 5% yesterday? Those are the kind of things that you need to have it. And the last for smart in me is the T, and that is timely, so that if you're going to be giving information, it needs to be given a time where it can actually affect the change and it will count. Okay, so that is my smart definition for metrics. I use it, I use it with customers, and because it's simple, then, then people do uh, apply it. Uh, you don't need to do it, but for me, it actually works very well because it's something that I can explain very, very fast. Hey, you know what? You, you've totally redeemed yourself there with a smart thing. You know, I've, I've heard it. You used, <laughs> Thank you, man. Used miserably, but the way that you've explained it there for metrics makes a whole load of sense. Absolutely. So we've done all that stuff. We've got a good team. We've got some measures. We've got some good processes. We're using metrics to improve the world. But you hit on it there in the in the repeatable and the actual and timely and the measurable and the simple and the smart in a sense that actually trends are really important. And the single measure is unlikely to ever tell you anything. That 20% that you gave out there sounds high to me. might sound low to somebody else. But the trend is what's really important. So if you are measuring anything, make sure that you're measuring trends over time and that that measure is consistent and it's not changing every single week in terms of you changing how you measure it or what you measure it because it's going to skew your trends. Also, I think what's really important with those trends is to study those variances between the highs and the lows because... If it's a sort of stable process, if it's a stable, for example, software development process, you wouldn't expect it to be wildly unpredictable. You know, one day you find 300 bugs, the following day you find zero. You'd expect that trend over time to be somewhat stable because if it's not, it's potentially a sign that you've got some sort of dubious processes or maybe some people who aren't necessarily uh, pulling their weight, necessarily speaking. You hit something there, uh, measurable, Joel. Why does it have to be a number? Because if it's not a number, then it will go into interpretation. And in my experience, we all look at, at the world based on the prism we have in front of our eyes. And so some people are going to be intrinsically optimistic. Some of them will be intrinsically pessimistic. And not only that, I might be having a good day, so I look at everything on the bright side. I might have been a crappy day and everything will be bad. So I need it to be something that I can really come and say, no, this is this is the number. What it means, we may talk about it, but this is the number that we have in there. And we all should be able to agree on that very, very fast now. So this goes into qualitative versus quantitative. And here is where, because it's in the stuff that you wrote, so here's where I say, hey, you know what? It shouldn't be one number. You need to have a number of, a, a group of numbers. And you should also be able to explain it because it's not an isolated number, okay? So I, I used to think, and I had it in there, that we have the simple in the smart process. And simple means that 
the metric should be self-explanatory. But the whole dashboard doesn't necessarily need to be self-explanatory. Maybe the whole dashboard needs some context in that sense. And for me, context might be, hey, guys, we're actually just starting the development process, so we are expecting some instability. So we shouldn't compare the start of the development process with uh, the week that we should be releasing this. Uh, so you should have that qualitative part of, of, of the metric, but it comes in the interpretation to it. Yeah. I think you, yeah, I think we're we're on the same line. I think you sort of need both. Um, I think the qualitative to me is the story that goes around the metrics. Um, you know, how does it, you know, how does it feel? How are people getting on? How are the customers enjoying it? Various things, and some things are just notoriously difficult to measure with a number. But I'm sure there's probably always a proxy for that number. So, you know, my advice is try and use both. But of course, if you don't have the quantitative, then yeah, Joel's right. You're basically uh, it's all about feelings at that point, and they can be somewhat skewed. But but you know what? You're actually bringing a good point. I think that we need to go the extra mile because it's very easy to say, hey, it's hard to measure this. And I always give an example of um, feature adoption. Okay, how do we know that we actually created a feature that is what the users wanted to have? Okay, have you ever wondered how you do that? So you work your butt off for three months. Uh, your team releases a feature. You put it in the air. And now you pray for the best, right? Hmm. Um, so it shouldn't. It shouldn't be like that. Meaning, one example that, that I, I always bring up is when we released a specific feature in the system and we saw that uh, because of all the fuzz we were doing, initial adoption was about 55-60% of, of uh, accounts were actually logging into the system, into that feature and working with it. Within two weeks, it went down to 30%. Within four weeks, it went down to 5%. And that was a way for us of knowing, hey, you know what? no one is using that feature for, for a reason, then you go and, and you try to understand why. And then you fix the why by talking to people. But you can today you can have those measurements. And it's only a matter of preparing for it. So you need to have instrumentation in the code. Uh, following that, you need to actually have your dashboards on that. But there used to be a time where we had the perfect excuses. I don't know what my users are doing. I need to wait for six months to get feedback from customer support, whatever. Today, we're running less and less out of those excuses. So I do think that even though not everyone can be getting out of a measurement, out of a number, uh, but there are very good proxies, as you mentioned. NPS is a great proxy. Uh, net, what's NPS, Rob? Net, net promoter score. And maybe we should do a podcast on that because I can't stand <laughs> that metric. I think it's, it's one of the most overly abused metrics, but it is a metric and it is a sort of almost qualitative uh, number in a sense. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, there's some interesting stuff. I'll give you an example. We used to make phone calls um, through the cloud. That was our software. And we could get a quantitative number for it, but the amount of effort to build the systems to give a rating for the quality of a phone call was huge. It would have cost us a fortune. So we relied on qualitative, which was somebody's perception of what that call was. Three or four testers pick up the phone, dial, was it good? So I think there are there are blurs to that. I think there are some edge cases, but I think overall, fundamentally, if you can measure it with a number, absolutely. And the qualitative stuff for me is the story you put around it. You know, there might be execs saying, oh, that number's high. And the qualitative is, well, you know, what the feedback from the customers is, you know, the product's improved or actually I really enjoy using it. And there might not be any numbers there, but that qualitative feedback can be associated to quantitative stuff to tell a really compelling story. And that's the piece that I think those two fit together nicely. Yeah, again, you cannot 
you're working with people, you will need to get their, their feedback. Um, and I, I'm with you with that. But I think that uh, for many other people, uh, it's just a matter of laziness, just yeah. not going over that and doing it because you know what? Measurements are uncomfortable. Yeah. And I'm going to be the first person to say, if, even of myself, if I look into the amount of tests that I'm doing or stuff like that, I look bad and I feel bad. Um, but as, as we started, what you measure will improve. So if I'm at a place where you need to improve something, not measuring it is not going to be the way to go. Absolutely. And with that, awesome podcast. Enjoyed that one. So, Joel, any final closing comments? Um, not really. I think that we can leave it at this and we'll see each one of you uh, later in our next episode, guys. Thanks for joining. Indeed. Thanks very much. We'll see you in the next one. Bye-bye. Bye.